0: You're listening to the Bags and Plat Podcast. Welcome to the Bags and Plat Podcast. Today is August 26th. Today's podcast is brought to you by Monument, an online treatment platform for those looking to change their relationship with alcohol. Monument was started by entrepreneur Mike Russell, who was motivated to stop drinking to become a more present father to his kids. Now he's bringing the evidence-based tools that helped him change his drinking habits to you entirely online. Learn more at joinmonument.com dot com. That's joinmonument.com. Great show coming for you today. Bags, how are you, my friend? I'm doing
1: okay. It was a good weekend. The Rover was out. We had golf and baseball rolling around the house, nothing outside, no road trips.
0: So, a lot of people, I got a lot of comments about the Rover and people are asking me about it. I had to send people I. pictures. It, this this thing has become like the hit of the show.
1: Yeah, and um, it's funny because I got a call right away about the rover and I sent the link on which one to buy. They were talking about the platform, how nice it looks, how light everything is, especially televisions these days. The rover can make a hit. I I wish... uh, And the funny uh, part was one of my friends actually was looking for the rover. Like, he didn't realize that we named it that, Um, although mine I call the Nomad too. But uh, yeah it's a good part of the uh, it's a good part of the house out, outdoor and uh, I'll talk about it anytime.
0: I feel like you need to make this like a product and start selling it because exactly. it to be a nice little cash flow business for you. How did it go with
1: the wife did, did, did you uh, propose any rover ideas? I'm working on it.
0: It's slow and steady right now. I went down to LBI yesterday for the day and snuck out of here uh, with my big daughter, Ella. And, you know, now I wouldn't say I'm paying the price today, but, you know, woke up this morning. I had to change the diaper. I had to get her. I'm getting the guilt of having to do everything uh, today. So, uh, you know, this was my little free space I got doing the podcast. And then I'm right back to daddy daycare. Back on track. I love it. Let's grind it out. All right, so we got a great show coming. We have a great guest, Ed Cohen, who's the play-by-play radio voice of the New York Knicks. So we're going to talk NBA later on. lot going on, Major League Baseball. The Yankees, they're like a, a walking mash unit. What gives, Bags? Well, we went through this last year, and it came out that it wasn't really
1: a big deal. In this shortened season, I don't think it's going to be a huge deal, but we are missing key ingredients in this lineup. Torres is one of the biggest appointments, uh, dis- disappointments in the entire season by any player. Uh, Lemehu we need. We got Judge back. Um, but I'm really worried more about the pitching. And I, I read about J.A. Happ and this kind of... Uh, boggled my mind where he was supposed to get $17 million if he made 27 starts or 165 innings. That was nearly impossible. But they are holding him back, I think, for that reason. And he's ready to go. Uh, I think he deserves a a chance in the rotation. Tanaka didn't look good last time, as you know. Cole, I have no worries about. And you got Montgomery, who's okay. But I, I feel like they weren't using their veteran... Uh, pitcher who they signed free agent for just this this exact reason, and we're not giving him a chance. And he says he's ready. He's taking it like a man, but we gotta we gotta use him. And I, I don't understand when money comes into this with the Yankees when that 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 bonus can't even happen. Twenty seven starts would be half the season, and one hundred sixty five innings is unattainable.
0: So they didn't revise that at all for the whole COVID shortened season challenge or that no. is revised? No,
1: it's, no. Not. it's it said for the shortened season, but I think it's for the whole season, but they did not revise it. So, they're, so the Yankees are in, the, in you know, the ball's in their court.
0: They're being cheap about it. I know they furloughed a bunch of people, I guess, last week. A lot of development people down in the Dominican and some of the islands. So this staff to me. So look, here's my thing right now. My thing is like, let's just get to the playoffs and get in the playoffs. Because this to me is such a unique year. And all of these injuries, the staff is obviously in a little bit of disarray right now. And I know we want to talk about the trade deadline. But my thing with the Yankees right now is you have allegedly so much depth in the pseudo minors right now. Clark Schmidt looked unbelievable when he pitched earlier in the season. They have the kid Garcia down there. I don't know if he's ready yet, but like I, there's a lot of depth down there. And in typical Yankee fashion, it takes them so long to bring these guys up. And I look at, I know Paxson's hurt right now. I know he pitched great in the playoffs last year for the Yankees. He's been less than average this year, but just Sheffield is pitching really well for Seattle. So obviously it's too early to judge, but they got to figure out this staff. And who are their guys? And like we talked about last week, playoff Tanaka, I'm sure will be back. But after Cole and Tanaka, where are you going to turn? Is it going to be Hap? Is it going to be Montgomery? Are you going to make a trade? Are you going to bring a kid up from the minors? Like, I don't know where they're going to go with this. What are your thoughts?
1: Well, you know, I hate to bring up Severino and all the other injuries, but I have a feeling when you have Cole now, we got Cole for one reason, to bring us over the hump to win the World Series. Now, if we lost a little bit on our staff, you know I love Cashman. And he is just – he's he's like playing the piano right now with, with all his moves. It's like Beethoven. So basically, I think they're going to be players during the trade deadline. Like you just said, we have so much depth in the minor leagues. Uh, he's been great with trades. And if you're going to get Cole to take us over that next hump – why would we not be players for this trade deadline, especially in this shortened season? If you got Cole and Tanaka in a short series, forget about it. But when it comes to four games, or four out of seven in the in, in the big one, we might need that other stud pitcher. And there's, there's a lot of guys out there. I'm not going to say we have to get Bauer or Bieber from Cleveland. Those guys are hot. But we will need something, especially – Uh, if Hap doesn't look good or they bring up a kid from AAA and he just doesn't have it. Do you really trust Montgomery? You know, I I don't. To win a World Series, you got to have guys firing on all cylinders and you got to have a one through four uh, if they're the Yankees. If you're another team, I don't blame you for not trading and and trying to you know, take on more money. I I don't blame you. But the Yankees have no choice, Pot.
0: No, I agree. And I just, the names that people are talking about right now, I can't see Bauer in New York. I think the press would manhandle him, and he's a little bit of a maniac with an edge. The other night, he was pretending to chug a beer after he struck a guy out on the mound. Like, that's never gonna fly here. And I know people want Bauer, and he is a very good pitcher. But I just can't see him in New York. And the kid from Cleveland, I guess, was having issues with the team where he wasn't following the COVID protocol and they, they were sending him down. So then you got uh, Cueto down in, or out in San Francisco. Like there, there isn't one guy that I'm looking at right now. And I'm not Cashman and I don't know the market as well as he does. But sure. there, none of these pictures I'm hearing about that I'm salivating to get. Whereas I feel like 10, 12, 15 years ago when the trade deadline approached, you knew exactly who the Yankees were going to go after, and nine times out of ten, they got it. I I don't know who it is here.
1: Now, um, here's the thing. Here's the thing with the with this trade deadline that that I see that might hurt the Yankees. You just mentioned Cueto. I'm a Cueto fan. However, the Giants, whose lineup is just depleted and doesn't really have any big bats, Ustremski's all right. They're still in the playoff run. So a lot of these teams are still in it that have no right being in it. You know, Marlins, Marlins, Orioles. Now, Platt, how about this? How about if a team says, you know what, Yankees? We got a short season here. We have two pitchers, an okay lineup. We could be the 1990 Reds and sweep the almighty A's. We can be the 88 Dodgers. You only get one shot at a short season. So I, I, I have a feeling that some of these pitchers are not going to be available to Cashman. And these teams might think they have a shot. And you know what? Good for them. I think it's great for the game, actually. And, Platt, I've said to you before, a Marlins-Orioles World Series, would it, it would be actually very, very entertaining because it's like two Cinderella stories and yeah, it might lose some fans and yeah, I'm a Yankee fan. I want to see him win, but I'm also a baseball fan. So I think it's great for the game that so many teams are in it, but I will say it's going to hurt the Yankees when teams think, Hey, we're, we're, we're four games out. They're taking 16 teams to the playoffs. Why, why sell? Let's go for this thing. You know what yeah, I, mean?
0: I mean? Unless you're the Red Sox who were the first team to lose 20 games this year, and and you're just trying to build your farm system, yes, why would you do deals this year? Like, you're going to have to find a diamond in the rough because right now, as bad bags, think about this, as bad as the Mets have been, all the injuries, all the issues, people leaving the team, people opting out, they are still very much in the playoff hunt right now. And I find that fascinating. I mean, a week ago, people were like, oh, well, they should trade DeGrom. They could still make the playoffs.
1: First of all, DeGrom can win you a World Series. Not by himself, but he, like, well, you want to face DeGrom in a one-game playoff? You want to you want to face him in a short series twice? That, that's, how, that's how amazing it is if you have one guy that's totally a shutdown guy, like a Cole or DeGrom. The Mets are 12 and 15, okay? They're only three and a half games back. And obviously, they play their division so much this year in the short season. And they don't have to travel a lot. Three games under 500 is so much better than where, say, the Red Sox are standing. So the Mets are not in a bad spot. Three three and a half out of the division is huge because you want that uh, division title. Now, fine. The Marlins are 13 and 11. I don't see them staying there. Platt. Fine. The Braves are 16 and 12. Those are the only two teams ahead of the Mets. I don't see them being, you know. The, the Mets uh, could definitely uh, uh, ungettable. The yeah, I think catch those guys, and the Phillies and the, and the and the Nationals are not playing good ball either. I think that whole division's still a toss up with four games or five games between the winning records.
0: So so take take taking the five hour flight to the West Coast, five and a half hour flight to the West Coast. How about how lucky they are out there right now with the Dodgers and Padres doing what they're doing?
1: It's so exciting for baseball. I'm actually loving it. If you don't like Fernando Tatis Jr., even know with the uh, with the take sign, he is he's so exciting for this game right now, and so needed. By the way, they needed this free spirited guy with the dreadlocks and and the energy he brings to the game. If if you watch him play. Even on highlights, because I'm not watching many Padres games. I'm sorry to make everyone yeah, upset you, about you, that.
0: <laughs> you do stay up late, though, to watch a lot of West Coast baseball. So Absolutely. I'm, I think uh, um, you should start watching the Padres games.
1: I, I might, and I do miss Vin Scully. Shout out to my man. But I, I will say, um, you know, obviously he's up for the MVP and Brandon Lowe, MVP for the Rays. Those are probably, uh, you know, Birdie and Stone. But what he brings to, to the playoffs is going to be really exciting. I mean, granted, you know, I was at Petco Park. That's like going to uh, Wooddale Park in There There is <laughs> nobody there, and it's dead quiet. This guy can not only bring this whole city behind this Padre team, there's only one other team that stands in their way. And let's get to them. The seven home run hitting day the other day, the, the L.A. Dodgers. They are a lineup.
0: Yeah, and although we're New York biased and we, we yes. see baseball here more, that team, I, I mean, they're just stacked. That We talked about it. I think the first show we came on the air, how deep that lineup is, how good that staff is. They play baseball the right way. They can hit and run. They could steal bases. They can hit home runs. They have a good bullpen. Maybe it's the one questionable part of that team, but I got to tell you, they are so stacked. And hopefully we see a Dodgers- Padre's playoff series. That would be beyond exciting.
1: Yeah, and you know what? The door is opening up for Kershaw to kind of revitalize not his career, he's a Hall of Famer, first ballot. To kind of do something in the playoffs that he's never done. He's always lost that big 2-1 game or the one nothing lead that he blows in the eighth when they don't take him out or they do they keep him in. This is one year where Kershaw has a lineup that might actually bring him, bring him that coveted World Series ring. And I'll tell you right now, we've seen it with the Yankees. They got they, they got an insane lineup, and we live and die by the home run. And that's the only. And, and I'm praising the Dodgers, but if you live and die by the home run in the playoffs, you more times than not end up dying because you got you gotta you gotta have. Timely hits in the playoffs. That's what it's all about. A gapper here. Stolen base here. You can't just rely on the big swingers. So I'm no, and, I'm, I'm and, very looking forward to the playoffs, Platt. I don't want to rush it, but I, uh, I'm looking forward to the West just as much as the East.
0: I'm with you there, buddy. So let's talk PGA Tour. Big week coming up for Tiger, for Rory, for all these guys. You have two big tournaments pretty much. I think within a week of each other between the the two big golf championships here. They're in Eastlake in Atlanta. Do you like Tiger's chances this week? Is he going to bounce back or are we going to have another DJ run, Brooks Kepka. What's this leaderboard going to look like? Because I know you're probably betting already and you probably know who you think is going to win this tournament. What are your thoughts?
1: Yeah, so I kind of like Tiger this week only because his back's against the wall and he won't actually make it to the next round unless he has a really really good round. So um you know I like guys like Jason Day. I like the guys that are up front Tom, I mean Justin Thomas. Um yeah, I just I just get disappointed when Fowler's just not around. It's just you know he's just so like, What's up lovable. With him? He's so What's easy up with to root? Him right now. You know his putting's always been on par, but his 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 iron play I think is has been hurting him. Um Obviously, he has the support, but getting back to the fan base, that's probably a guy who's so well liked that um, this might be hurting his his golf game a little bit. And I know you brought this up before. Um,
0: you know, talk about what Rory said. You you know it. Yeah, Rory was saying that, and I'm shocked because he's the first guy to vocalize it. And then Tiger jumped on it. He said that having no fans has hurt his game, and I think. That the skeptics are going to say, well, now you're making excuses because Dustin Johnson's playing and he's winning. But Rory was saying that he's he feels like he's just going through the motions without the fans out there. And then Tiger responded and said, you know, for him, he's at a disadvantage, too, because not only does he get energy from the fans, but if you're playing with Tiger and you're not one of these household names and there's 40,000 people following you, which he has every week and you're not used to that, that's a huge advantage for Tiger that he loses with having no fans watching him. So I thought that was interesting for Rory and Tiger to come forward. And this is probably the first time I think we talked about it where professional golfers are talking about the lack of fans. I think Mickelson brought it up once, really hurting their game.
1: Yeah, and I'm going to say something about uh, about the crowd with Tiger and then turn it into something else as well. Tiger thrives off the crowd. He lives for that. You've seen it for 20 plus years. He is all about making noise at augusta throwing that par three shot on 16 and going nuts and making the big shot don't tell me he doesn't feed off the crowd like other athletes do it is imperative for him to have a crowd there i think he loves it now on the other hand what was the most intimidating thing to do about 10 years ago in a major playing with tiger you're playing in front of a gallery you haven't played before. So guess what? They might actually like this, the young kids. They don't want to go up and, and it's like going into the lion's den with Tiger. You know what I mean? You're going into his coliseum, and you got to make shot after shot when no one's rooting for you at all. So some of these golfers are actually going to be in a better status not having that crowd and not having to be the guy that's going to beat Tiger Woods, not having people heckle him. So some in, in, in the other way with the other golfers, this, this COVID is actually helping them by steering away people from jumping on the Mickelson's, the Tigers, the Rories, the DJ's. Platt, if you're Xander Chouffle, would you want to play against Tiger this week in the final round? Of course he would. There's nothing to be afraid of but Tiger himself, and he's beatable. So, the Tiger mystique, as we used to call it, is not the same when he doesn't have his 40,000, as you mentioned.
0: And it's such an interesting sport to watch right now because there's so much good, young talent. And I know that every generation says that, but growing up when we were younger, Tiger, Phil, you had Faldo and those guys coming to the you know end of their careers. But the youth in the game today, and, and they'll all tell you to a man that they're playing because they watched Tiger growing up and you would think they'd be intimidated by him, but they don't seem to be, they seem to almost take his mentality onto the golf course to an extent. And I think that's the biggest difference because growing up when Tiger, you're hundred percent, right. When Tiger played, these guys were scared shitless. They, they did not want to be playing against him on a Sunday. Now these guys coming up want that. They want that challenge. And I kind of love it.
1: It's, it's what they've always thought about doing. It's what they are, are going to face one day. But right now, they don't have to face it, Platt. And there's just not, a, there's not as much pressure on them. And that's what – I'm not going to say they want that. But they don't need more pressure. They want to beat this guy. With no crowd, he's
0: even more beatable. So who on Sunday – on 18 who is winning this tournament. Colin Morikawa does it
1: again. Jason Day in second and That's all I got right now.
0: That's what you're feeling.
1: All right. Yes, I love this kid Morikawa what he did at the at the major. Everyone's just loving his attitude on and off the course. And by the way, even with no crowd, he's becoming a fan favorite in, uh, uh, in, in, in America because he's really young. He's got a great attitude, good head on his shoulders. And to tell you the truth, we need, we need more great Americans because the Ryder Cup is uh, going to be knocking on our door soon. And you can bet your butt he's going to be on that team.
0: Yeah, he's going to be fun to watch. So shifting gears for a second. Yes. College football. What the hell is going on? So, Big Ten and
1: Pac-12 right now have their feet in their mouths and I'll tell you why. I said last week in the last, in, in the last show that they made a premature decision um, about not playing this year. Jim Harbaugh is one of the biggest voices in college football, really, really was forcing to to play this year. And without going too much into the college football season, you got two major conferences with the parents of the athletes protesting. And when they see Clemson and Alabama and Oklahoma and Texas, and they see them playing football a whole year, how do you think, by the way, we're both parents, how would you feel for your kid that they said no playing this year. He might have his last year of his life. He might, he might have um, millions of dollars coming to him if he plays well this year and gets drafted. If he doesn't, he can't get drafted. He has to try to walk on. There's so much going on here. There's a health scare on Chapel Hill's campus. There's a um, a lot of things to worry about. But when you have the ACC, SEC, and Pac-12 or uh, Big 12 playing football and the two big. Big Ten and the Little Ten, I should say, Uh, Pac-12 are not playing. It makes it makes it very hard for not only all these universities, but the students and the parents of the athletes.
0: Well, it's definitely going to be interesting to watch how this plays out in the weeks ahead. We are very fortunate right now to welcome our guest to the show, Ed Cohen, the play-by-play radio voice of the New York Knickerbockers, as my dad used to call them, the New York Knicks. Welcome to the show, Ed. Hey, guys.
2: you know I, I think just like your dad, I sometimes throw in a knickerbockers as well. So uh, amen to that.
0: <laughs> so, Ed, thanks for coming on. We appreciate it. Are you watching the NBA bubble experience? What are your thoughts on what Adam Silver was able to pull off here and what the league is putting on for the fans?
2: Well, certainly watching the bubble experience. I've been slightly distracted throughout this pandemic our uh, our first son was born April 9th so uh that's been uh, a welcome distraction but uh, Congratulations. from a basketball thank you thank you no I will I will let little Benjamin know that uh, you pass along your best <laughs> um but from a from a basketball standpoint I think what the NBA has done in just creating uh, you know not just a safe environment but uh, a really Uh, good atmosphere. I mean, you're not going to replicate what it's like to have fans in a packed arena in a playoff series, but I think with what they were dealt and the blueprint that they created, and obviously they spent a lot of money to make the three courts down in Orlando at Disney um, look terrific, look TV ready. Uh, I think just overall, the experience uh, has been really fun to watch. And, And I think the disclaimer is we've, witnessed eight playing games Uh, We're now kind of into the latter reaches of the first round, you know, they have a long way to go. And it just seems like between the players, the franchises, the league, television, you know, everybody's been on the same page from, from square one. And I I really put that on on the commissioner on Adam Silver and what they were able to do and mapping this all out back in, you know, May, June, making sure they, they got it right, made it safe, made it uh, adaptable for everybody. It's not easy living down there. I can only imagine, um, even with basketball around the clock, what it's like for the players. But they've, they've made it work. And I think for anybody who is an NBA fan or works in the NBA, I think it's really been a great source of pride to see how they've done it.
1: Ed, I got to tell you, uh, the last few shows, Mike uh, Platt and I have praised the NBA and the NHL. But I think after seeing this and his reputation prior to this, I think Adam Silver is the best commissioner in sports. Um, Going forward, uh, I know they have a long way to go, as you mentioned. Um, I'm trying to get into it as much as I can now with weeding out the teams that really maybe shouldn't belong there. But um, I was a little concerned about reading about what the Raptors might do and uh, protest the game uh, by not playing. Uh, do you have any comments about that or have you heard anything that that is a go? You
2: know, I haven't heard anything and I think it's it's so early given what's happened in Wisconsin and the reaction to it. You know, it's really, it's only been a few days, but I will say it's something that's so important to people around the league, the players, uh, coaches, fans of the game. uh, And you love the fact that, you know, players are so conscious of what's happening in the world and happening in our country. And
1: I do,
2: I give credit to the league too, because they realize how important it is to the players and so many others. And the message has been, you need a place where your voice can be heard. Um, So I think it's natural when something like this happens uh, that there is a reaction to it and it's just communicating and making sure that everybody feels that there's an outlet for them. I think that's what they're going through right now in Orlando uh, because it's been just such a uh, a wild and tumultuous four or five months in our country and for the NBA it's it's been back to business but it's been, you know, with this backdrop of you know, our country's really going through a dramatic change right now.
0: Yeah, Silver's done a great job, and you both talked on it. The NBA has embraced the challenges here, and it seems like they're handling it in the right manner, in the right way, listening to the players and addressing their concerns. So on the basketball front, you've been watching the games. Who has impressed you most, and what teams do you think have the best chance of bringing home a title this year?
2: Well, you know, I'll say this, guys. I'd say in watching what the Lakers have done after it was split 1-1 against Portland and just seeing what the Clippers obviously were able to do last night, I mean, the score was jarring. and seeing him had a point they put up. Uh, but seeing Paul George come back to life and this team starting to gel, I think you're starting to see the bubble likened to where we left off before March 11th when the season was suspended and, you know, there were a lot of questions for teams. How would they respond after the long layoff? Would they be able to build on what they had going, uh, through the first 60 some odd games of the regular season? And I think right now, um, it's starting to show itself as the playing field we expected. You know, the East has been, I know this is a college term, it's been chalk so far <laughs> on the, side of the playoffs in the Eastern Conference. And the West, I think you're seeing the elite teams start to figure it out. I think one surprise, no question, has been Utah because no team was affected more uh, right as the season was suspended in the Utah Jazz and what happened with Ruby Gobert. And then in the days that followed the perceived tension that there may have been um uh, with that roster with Donovan Mitchell and look at what he's done and the way they've bounced back and taken a lead against a really good deep Denver team with Jamal Murray, absolutely going off. So I think Utah has been a terrific story. And then you factor in just all the wonderful individual performances, whether it's Damian Lillard, uh, TJ Warren and Devin Booker, what they did in the, uh, in the playing games. And, And certainly, uh, even though, you know, at the moment, the Mavericks are down the series, uh, you know, Luka Doncic, you know, questionable to play, and then he comes back and hits a buzzer beater on top of 40 plus points. So there have been some really uh, phenomenal performances, and now it's just a matter of will defenses really start to tighten up as, you know, we get into the second round, the conference final.
1: Once again, we're talking Ed Cohen, play by play, Nick's announcer. Ed, we're beloved Nick fans. <laughs> We'd love, love to bounce a few questions off you. Yeah, it's been a tough 20-plus years. Uh, Platt and I grew up in the Hubie Brown era and obviously into the Riley Van Gundy uh, where there were some really fun days and really fun teams. Uh, it hasn't been like that in a while. Um, I, Platt and I really don't like to really kill the negatives on the Knicks. We'd like to have some hope and some positive things to say. Starting with the hire of the coach, I think we're both on board that it was the right hire might not be the the greatest hire, but I think it was the right hire. Uh, I'd like to get your take on the hire. And what do do the Knicks really expect to do next year with a new coach Uh, and kind of a deformed season again, as you will?
2: Well, I think I'm on board with you guys, and I would imagine most of the Knicks fan bases as well. There's so much excitement knowing that someone is – qualified with the credentials of Tom Thibodeau, the success he had in Chicago, uh, getting Minnesota back to the playoffs and been there in 10 plus years. And they got there in 2018. You know, this is someone who, I mean, really eats, breathes, sleeps the game. This is, this is his life. And I think you've seen that at other points in his coaching career. Uh, This is somebody who he demands respect but I think if you're a player and you see how others improved and got better at his other stops, I mean there should be no other motivation than to realize that this is somebody who's instantly going to give this team credibility and make them better. So obviously I I love the hire. And I think the other side of that too is there's a comfort level with Tom Thibodeau and the front office with Leon Rose, with William Wesley. And I think, that harmony, or at least let's hope that harmony, that's going to contribute quite a bit to how this roster is going to be built. You know, seven picks in the first round over the next four years, a lot of cap flexibility. And really the big thing is it's identifying now which young guys currently on the roster, who has room to improve, um, who has not met their ceiling yet, and who could thrive under Tom Thibodeau and some of the player development coaches that he's already brought in, they can identify which of the young Knicks currently could really take the next step and be here for a while. I think that's imperative because, you know, it all starts with the draft and the young guys you bring in and develop. And if they can do that uh, with a coach whose acumen really speaks for itself, uh, it's not going to happen overnight, but, I think the future is bright. And and listen, he was signed to a five-year deal. Um, I I get the sense that, you know, they're going to see this through. And that, for a Knicks fan, uh, given the change that we've seen over the last couple of decades, that's really welcome news to anybody.
0: Yeah, it's welcome news to these two Knicks fans that you're on with right now. (laughs) And speaking of player development and the draft, so the Knicks, quote-unquote, fall to number eight. And I don't necessarily think that's a bad thing because I don't know that there's a one player or two players who are a short thing in this draft specifically. Obviously their strategy changes with Tibbs aboard now. Any players that you think he has his eye on or you have your eye on, or you think would be a great fit for this Knicks team right now?
2: You know, this is probably the most unpredictable draft number one, in terms of the prospects and number two in terms of what a team like the Knicks friendly slaughtered at eighth is going to do uh, because Leon Rose has said there are a couple of can't-miss guys otherwise there's a lot of parity. So armed with a lot of ammunition in the form of current picks, future picks, do the Knicks, do they eye a trade-up uh, if there's someone they're really high on? Or Uh, Do they want to accumulate more for the future? Uh, Would they move down if they think that there's someone they're really high on uh, that they can get them there? Or do they take the best player at number eight? Uh, It's hard to say. I've looked at a number of mocks, and they all seem entirely different. They're guys who some people are saying are definitely going to be there at number eight. Uh, A few names I've seen, uh, Isaac Okoro from Auburn, uh, Devin Vassell, uh, solid shooter out of Florida State, uh, but then you look elsewhere, and some people have those guys in the top five. And you say, okay, who's going to fall to eight? Maybe it's somebody like Obi Toppin from Dayton. So I think the disclaimer with this draft is uh, whether you feel there's a lot of talent or not, it's really unpredictable. And I think that's going to impact what teams do with their picks, whether they stick with them, or they move up or down, or you know, simply get out of the lottery and you know, accumulate for the future. I don't know, but I think that speaks to the players that we're seeing listed and, you know, the amount of talent that's in this draft. It's just really hard to say right now. But we do know this, someone's going to hit their pick, and there is going to be a budding all-star somewhere in the top 15 or 20 picks. That's just what makes it such a crapshoot.
1: Yeah, Ed, uh, I'd like to actually talk more in depth about building through the draft, only because I feel like the free agents are not loving coming to the garden. I heard Tim Hardaway recently on the air, and he was being asked about his son's experience as a a Nick. And I've heard this a couple other times um, on social media and on the air. What do you think about the the practice facility situation where – Uh, It's in White Plains, obviously. It's not at the Garden, and I feel like there's been discussions about players really not loving that scenario. Do you have anything to comment about that?
2: You know, I think the history of the Knicks, and I know obviously it it hasn't been what you know diehard fans have wanted to see the last 20 years. But what this team means to this city, you know, to be a New York Nick is special, and Uh, I think it takes certainly the right kind of player to succeed here. It obviously takes a roster that's fit to compete. And obviously the NBA has changed uh, quite a bit since uh, the teams that we loved in the late nineties and uh, you know, early two thousands. And I think it's just, it's finding the right fit with your roster. I don't know if it's, it's so much those other uh, details that you guys mentioned, uh, but it's, it's finding the right mix of players and obviously stability is a really important thing too. And that's what I think people hope that they have now uh, with Tom Thibodeau and with some of the new people they brought into the front office.
1: Uh, it, it just scares you know. me a little bit. It just scares me a little bit, Ed when you, you got uh, Kyrie and, and, and Katie uh, just a few miles through the tunnel. And, you know, I don't think that would happen 20 years ago. So that's really my only concern. But like I told you, I wanted to keep no, it positive today.
2: <laughs> I understand. And, and what I will say is this, and I, I think about this all the time. If you look up and down the 30 teams in the NBA, there are very few where you identify their stars or their core pieces. Somehow, some way, that roster wasn't built through the draft. Maybe you throw out a Houston as an example because they acquired Harden from Oklahoma City and then did the same seven, eight years later with Russell Westbrook. But for the most part, just about every team in the NBA is anchored by a player or two that they hit on in the draft. Look at a team like Utah. You know The reason they're able to sign a guy like Mike Conley, or at least trade for him, and then bring in a guy like Boyan Bogdanovich, is because their two best players were first-round picks. You know, if you draft your best player 13 overall, the next three, four years, you have cap flexibility, you have uh, pieces you could build a team with, and that changes everything. And that's really the next step at the moment for the Knicks is if they can really hit on a pick they've already made, whether it's R.J. Barrett, Mitchell Robinson taking that next step or one of the picks they have coming up this year or in the next few years. That's really going to be the impetus to change this franchise.
0: And I was actually going to ask you, so you had a front row seat to watch RJ and Mitchell this year. What do you think about these two guys in terms of the future of the Knicks? Is, is RJ a guy you think, and obviously I realize this was his rookie year and he's young. Is he a guy that you can build the franchise around or is he more of a, he's a great team player and he was a very good pick, but he's not going to be the 1A guy on your team?
2: No, I think he, he's totally somebody right now who who fits that profile. Obviously, I, I think there are many areas where you'll see improvement over the next few seasons, but look at what R.J. Barrett did his last 10 games or so before the season was suspended. He was averaging by over 20, close to 25 points per game some nights, and he gives you something beyond just – the box score. I, I think he, he's programmed uh, to play for a guy like Tom Thibodeau. I think he plays hard. Uh, he has a good basketball IQ. He's only going to get better as a defender and defending other positions. Um, and then adding to that, Mitchell Robinson is somebody who, you know, we saw the latter part of his rookie year where he really took a nice step and he was staying on the floor, wasn't getting into foul trouble, he was playing over 30 minutes a game. And If anything, that was a disappointment last year, early in the season, was he he regressed a little to that level. But if you go forward um, into January and February under Mike Miller, I thought he really took a nice step and was starting to open up parts of his game. And obviously the next step is um, his work in the post, if he can add, I don't want to say some more range, some range, because we really haven't seen him take many jump shots in his career. I think we can count them on two hands. That's the next step for him. And I think for those two in particular, the Knicks really do feel like they have something there.
0: Yeah, which is nice to see. And I think Bags and I both growing up during the 90s New York Nick runs of Oakley and Mason and Starks and defense first. I feel like Thibodeau comes in here. He's defensive-minded. R.J. Barrett's long. Mitchell Robinson's long. I think he's got some good core pieces. And knock on wood, I'm starting to feel good about the direction of the New York Knicks franchise.
2: For sure. I think Leon Rose summed it up best. And this was before they made the higher official. But when he was asked about the type of head coach he was looking for, he said someone who, when you're in a huddle, coach has his whiteboard, you're listening to him. And he is inspiring his players to break a timeout and get the job done. And, and I think that will be immediate. I'm not saying they're going to make a massive jump in the standings, but it all starts there and establishing a culture, a style of play and a will to win. And I hope that, you know, at the very least the young guys embrace that gravitate towards that because it's worked in other places with Tom Thibodeau. And, you know, this is the dream job for him as he's talked about growing up in Connecticut. So I can only imagine the motivation he has to you know, bring the Knicks back to levels of success.
0: Well, hopefully that happens. Ed, we really appreciate you joining the show. Hopefully you'll come back on next year during the season, give us some more insight on the Knicks. And I have to give a shout out to Camp Greylock because <laughs> you and I wouldn't be here without those guys and all the love and help and enjoyable times we had there.
2: Yeah, big GGR right back at you.
0: Thank you, there guys. You uh, Thanks. A, have a great day, Ed. And, uh, enjoy the bubble. Thanks, Ed. You too.
1: That's great insight on a uh, season. While well, we're speaking in August for next season during the NBA playoffs, you can't can't
0: not like that, Platt. No, that's good stuff. And Ed was hopefully Ed will come on during the season some more. Great show today, bags. We'll be back at it again this week for our listeners. And uh, have an awesome day, buddy.
1: Yep, ten four.